Well, we are back. It was a nice little break. Fun to hit the rewind button on some of the great interviews we had in 2021. It was tough to decide. Maybe our top five. Some of it had to do with the amount of listens. Some of it had to do with ones that I just really enjoyed. I mean, we could have spun off some Kevin Harlan, some Bill Raftery. But looking forward to a big 2022 as well. Appreciate all the listeners of the Kilcoin Conversation. And it's great to get the feedback as well. Sometimes it's a coach we're dealing with. Maybe he'll shoot over an email about something we're covering on Fox 2. And they'll point out they listen all the time to the segment. So appreciate all the feedback. We'll continue to look for people who are interesting, have a story to tell, sometimes newsmakers, usually more of a look back at their career, which is what we're doing in this particular episode. Jim Steiner was a NFL agent for about 35 years and sort of stumbled into the business, was out of college and started working with a St. Louis guy named Richie Bree, who was involved in baseball, representing Cardinal players like Gary Templeton and Tony Scott. They were doing some work with Lou Brock And a young Jim Steiner got into that office and then sort of ventured over to the football side. And along the way was the agent for Jerry Rice, Warwick Dunn, Mike Allstott, William the Refrigerator Perry, Dan Hampton, Hall of Famer from the Bears, uh, Mark Brunel, Trent Green, Justin Smith out of Mizzou. I mean, there honestly are, I'm forgetting about 40 or 50 notable names. He was connected to all of them. And he's got some great stories. Uh, my favorite one, maybe in this episode, is, and I've known Jim for a long time, really a funny, sarcastic guy. And I, I always joke about it that we're like best buddies who never see each other. And quick aside, my son's playing in a third grade basketball tournament a couple of years ago. And we're sitting in this Catholic gym, and it was a Macalata in St. Louis. And we're watching my son play, and this guy comes over and goes, Hey, Marty, what are you doing? And just real smart alecky like your big brother or your good buddy would do. And says hi real quick and just kind of keeps going. And my wife said, Who was that? I said, That's Jim Steiner. She's like, Who is he? I said, He's one of my favorite guys. She said, But you guys never hang out. I said, I know, but we used to. When I was, when I was a single guy, Jim and I, for some reason, we went to the casino a couple of times during the day. I must have been off. You know, my reporter days, I was off on Mondays and Tuesdays or random days. And I swear he and I went to the casino a couple of times, which I never do. But I love Jim Steiner. I love his stories. And and my favorite one within this episode, I believe, if I had to pick one, would be when Trent Green signed with the Rams. And it was a huge off-season move. But there's a story in here how Jim, Jim is told that he gets to break the news to Vermeil that Tony Banks has got to go. They tell the agent to break the news to the head coach. It sounds so very Rams. It's unbelievable. Great stories about dealing with the fridge. William the Refrigerator Perry, when he exploded onto the scene. Uh, Also what it's like, the the agent game, man. It's such a hustle. But Jim is still working. He's retired as a professional agent, but he's working with Mosaic Wealth Management, which is run by Scott Highmark, a previous guest on this show. Scott Highmark, uh, done so many different things in his career, but now in the financial world, and Jim Steiner is part of his team. So if you're looking for financial advice, Jim Steiner, part of that Highmark group over at Mosaic. I told him I'd get a plug in. There it is. Not an official sponsor yet of the program. So hopefully you'll enjoy these stories about a life as a professional sports agent, the, the Jerry Maguire life, hanging with Jerry Rice. Who knew when... 
Jerry Rice came out of Mississippi Valley State that he would end up being as prolific as he was. All of our great sponsors back in 2022, you know all about Marie Devilla Senior Living, corner of Clayton and Wideman Road. These are just great people. Looking forward to seeing Fred and Mary Kay sometime soon here in the new year. It is senior living that you're going to want to look into because it's all types, whether it's assisted living, the villas, mariedevilla.com is where you can take a virtual tour. Triad Bank, and yes, yes, that second location is coming, I promise. The original spot in Frontenac on Clayton Road since 2005. Five-star rated bank, home loans, car loans, business loans. These are folks you want to do business with based in St. Louis, and they can help you get things done. It is Triad Bank. Check them out on the web at triadbanking.com. Also, Appliance Discounters. TheApplianceddiscounters.com is their website. A personal story here, Fox 2 producer, sports producer Dave Job was telling me they needed a washer and dryer, and they live over in Illinois, and they were having a hard time. They were being told it's going to be a couple of months. You know what I told them. Why wait weeks or months when you can get it in days? They went and bought a washer and dryer at Appliance Discounters and got it the next Day. I love when these stories are repeated back to me because it's absolutely the truth. They really are the best when it comes to appliances, great GE merchandise, GE rebates at the lowest prices. Theappliancediscounters.com. B&G Tuck Pointing, the best in the bricks. You saw Rich Galati and his girls, Bella and Gabrielle. They were up at the Winter Classic. Huge Blues fans. They will travel anywhere to see their Blues playing hockey. They went to the playoffs, I think, in Colorado last year, but their main focus, of course, other than the Blues, is tuck pointing. BG, tuckpointing.com, foundation repair, waterproofing. They do all of the above. Get a free estimate at 363-0525-314-363-0525. Find out why they are the best in the bricks. And I want to throw out this mention for Nordic Mountain. The family took a little break while we were doing the Best of and the rewind for 2021. We were up in Wisconsin at a friend's cabin and did a little skiing at Nordic Mountain. It's a hidden gem. About an hour and a half from Madison, about an hour and a half from Milwaukee, a little over six hours from St. Louis. We were staying in a cabin in the area, and I just sort of Googled skiing in the area, and Nordic Mountain came up. It's in Wild Rose, and it was great. Lessons for the kids tubing snowboarding we were there on a day and, and the snow's coming down temperatures are in the 20s and 30s it was reasonable but just the scenic mountain with snow coming down you just can't beat it this time of year great time check it out nordicmountain.com is their website all right let's get to it it's my buddy the longtime nfl agent jim steiner Jimmy, great to talk to you. You know, you're one of those people I feel like I've known forever. I mean, I guess I have known you forever. You're probably on our TV show back in like 2000 talking about Trent Green. And I feel like we palled around a lot, but we really haven't other than the occasional casino trip when we're both uh, hiding years ago. But good to talk to you, Jimmy. You are uh, currently in Florida. We should bring people up today. We're going to talk about your NFL career as a professional agent, but what, for the last how many years you've been in uh, the financial world? I got into the financial world after I retired from the sports business in 2013. Wow. Do you miss it? you miss the agent game? 
I don't know. I really don't miss it. I did for the, when I first retired, I will admit that it took me a good four to five years to get over it. It, it just, it does. Cause there's a bit of celebrity to it. Uh, everybody's always asking about it. It's just a, it's kind of like an athlete retiring. You know, once he's out of the game, you become less significant. Wait, can you watch a college football game now and not be making mental notes like, oh, he looks like a third rounder to me. Oh, this kid's going places. This kid's going to be a stud next year. I mean, do you still watch it the same? I don't want, no. Well, I, I might, I might notice this, you know, the superstars and know that, you know, this, this guy's, this guy's going to be good. He's obviously a one, but I don't, I don't No, I just kind of watch the games for, for my, my own pleasure. And just because I'm, I'm, I'm still interested in it, but obviously not nearly to the level. I don't really watch, I don't watch that much NFL anymore either. You've got nothing, I've got nothing invested in the game anymore. So it just doesn't, just doesn't mean as much. Did you go, like when you were busy with players all around the league, did you go to a game every weekend? Did you show up, you know, to a different city and watch your guy? Oh, we were during the, yeah, during the college and football season, we were typically either traveling to a college game. It could be a college pro game in the same weekend, you know, could be, could be one or the other. And if not, I was at home watching the, watching TV all day, you know, at week, weekends, weekend evenings. It was a, it's a 24, being an agent, it's a 24 seven business. If you're really in it full time and, and growing it and, you know, trying to excel in it. So you had Jerry Rice, The Fridge, William Perry, uh, Mike Allstott, Warwick Dunn, Trent Green, Mark Brunel, Justin Smith, I, I, maybe Roger Craig. I'm missing probably. A- yeah, Roger, Roger Craig, you know, Bryant McKinney out of Miami. Just We had a, just a ton of guys. And it, I'm it didn't start. It didn't start with Jerry Rice, but did that change things when not only that you signed him, but he became a star? Tell me how you guys got connected. We got connected. We had I had signed uh, Roger Craig and Dave Remington out of Nebraska. Remington was an Outland Trophy winner, and Roger obviously was a star at the time. Uh, as I recall, I think Roger. Remington was a first round pick by the Bengals. I think Roger, maybe a year after Roger, possibly. Uh, but they were in the same, certainly in the same, same, close to the same year. But Roger was a leader on the 49ers back at the time. He was drafted in 83. And he was a leader on the team. And he was a just a quality guy. And he was, he was a huge advocate of working out and staying in shape and uh, you know just a very high-end athlete and he kind of took jerry under his wing and jerry had a jerry when jerry came out of college out of mississippi valley state in 85 he was in league for about a year and then roger referred him to me i remember roger called and said hey jim i got a client for you now jerry had been in league for a year so he had, he was showing signs, but he wasn't there yet. But uh, I remember Roger said, I got a client for you. I said, who's that? He said, Jerry Rice. I said, well, I, I can't be there any sooner than 10 minutes. <laughs> and from there, I mean, his career explodes. And I mean, you probably had an idea he'd be good, but did you think he'd be as prolific? 
Well, no, you can't, you can't predict that because you can't measure no different than the teams can't measure their heart. You know, we can't measure it either. So you, you can't, you couldn't predict how he would turn out and how he, Jerry really grew as a person. He was, he was not a mature young man coming out of college. He was, you know, he, you know, he, he just didn't, he didn't, he, he didn't know ship from Shinola, as they say, when he came, when he came out of college. Well, but thank yeah. God he had Jimmy Stetson to teach him shit from Shinola. You can do that. You know your shit. I do know my shit. <laughs> uh, I know how to, I know how to gather it. I know how to give it. Does that open the door, though, like when he becomes a star? You're already an established agent. But when people like college kids say, hey, that guy's Jerry Rice's agent, does that change? Yeah, that. Yeah, because your calling card as an agent is who you represent today. And so that's why it's so freaking difficult to get started in the agency business. And you've got to when we first started and that was in I got into the business in 1976 when I came back from college and joined Richie Bree, who was a St. Louis and just getting, getting his agency started with nobody. And at that point you sign anybody with a pulse, anybody that had a pulse that was playing professional sports, you'd sign them just to see if something would click. And that's, that's what we did. But as you sign players, you know, and as they grow and then you get lucky, like, and then in 79 on the football side, we signed Kellen Winslow and Dan Hampton, and they were both first round picks. And then that kind of vaulted us into the football game. And on the baseball side, when we, when we first got into business, Richie was a, he was a, he had a relationship with Lou Brock because Lou Brock Jr., his son, played Little League Baseball with Richie's son, Bobby. And so Richie and Lou got to know each other. And then when we were in the business, Lou referred two of our former St. Louis Cardinals, who most, most folks will remember, I think. That would be Gary Templeton and John Denny, and they were in the minor leagues. And from there, then the business, then the business began to grow on the baseball side because somehow we got locked into the Cardinals. I think Bing Devine, I think, was the general manager at the time. And then, and then we signed Tony Scott and Leon Durham and Mike Tyson and John Fulgham. The list went on and on. And that's that's how we that's how we got rolling. And then along came Ryan Sandberg, or Ryan Sandberg, not Ryan, Ryan. Ryan Sandberg and Ricky Henderson, and we got hot. And the same thing happened on the football side. Wow, Ricky Henderson. Did you? How many? And I know you had Richie. So Richie was a little more of the baseball guy. You were the football Richie, guy. Richie, Richie was the baseball guy. Uh, and you know, in the beginning, we both were doing everything. And I didn't. You know, I just came in as a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young dude that didn't know. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about the sports agency business. I thought it would be a. I thought it'd be a two-year little. This sounds like fun. It's sports. I'll do this for a couple of years, see what happens. And he couldn't pay me much, but we had a, we had a little office in the Pure League building in Clayton, went to work with a coat and tie on every day. Why we did that, I have no clue. But we helped Lou with it. And Lou was, Lou was a marketing client. He never really was a contract client, but we, we got into the Brock umbrella, marketing of the Brock umbrella with Lou who was, you know, Lou was a, just a fantastic individual. He was, 
he was really nice to us and nice to me and he was great but he uh he was very helpful in the in the in our, in our early beginnings and that's how we got started were you guys in the middle of the templeton fallout then in st louis because whitey basically is like this guy's got to go he gives the finger to the crowd what do you remember about that period oh yeah uh, yeah we were we were right in the heart of it all trying to manage it. if i ain't starting i ain't departing <laughs> yeah no we were we were right right there right in the heart of it trying to manage it uh same thing with daryl's we had we signed we signed daryl strawberry out of high school look at this uh, i knew you were a big deal and now these names henderson strawberry i, I didn't realize the magnitude of your reach yeah well it was it was it, it was it was really quite something because we came from nowhere right we we Richie was a stockbroker at Newhart Cook, and I was graduated from college in 73 and took a year off, came back to St. Louis and was introduced to Richie by my uncle. You know, I was nothing, still am nothing, <laughs> but I'm a little, 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 little more than nothing now. But uh, we, we just came out of nowhere and must have been our charming personality. But yeah, we signed... We read about, this is a crazy story. We read about Daryl Strawberry in Sports Illustrated like every other human being did. How he was going to be a number one pick out of Crenshaw High. And I was going out to San Diego on a recruiting trip to recruit Kyle Turley, who I know you remember that name. And he was at San Diego because my kid, my daughters went to San Diego, University of San Diego. So I was going out there anyway. So... We looked up in those days, no cell phones, no, you know, how do you get a hold of people? You look, you call, you call information, right? You, you get, we got, and her, her, his mother's name was Ruby. So we looked her up in the freaking phone book, called her, and I met her at Hamburger Hamlet on Wilshire Boulevard one day, you know, when I was out there. And Richie went out, followed it up, and I think maybe took Daryl to a Dodger Cardinal game, took him up to the booth to meet Jack Buck and that, and we signed him. So you held on, held on to him, and held on to him for about seven years. And then he dumped us. Okay. Yes. What, what's the pitch? Whether you know, obviously when you have a Jerry Rice, you'd use that, but when you're strawberries, mom, and what, and I'm sure it got sleazy. You'd go on a college campus, you'd see another agent say, Oh shit, he's going to give him a Mercedes. I mean, how, how slimy was it at times, and what was the sales pitch? It could get pretty – back in the old days, when we first got started, there was a guy in the business by the name of Mike Trope. He was signing He was signing everybody. He was getting all the running backs, and he was he – was, the money was just oozing out of his wallet. But back then, there really wasn't – it was the wild, wild west. There wasn't there – wasn't, as I recall, there weren't really many rules relative to – NCA hadn't cracked down on any, any of it yet because it was so new. Uh, you know, so our pitch was just service and really it was the, the strategy was getting to know them and developing relationships. It's a relationship business, getting to know and developing relationships with them because these are young kids. They're not, they're not necessarily looking at the whole business picture. Who would be best for me based on experience and client lists and, capability and their contacts in the league. 
that didn't mean much to them at that time. And it may not mean that much today. If, if you can develop the relationship and get to know somebody and earn their trust, that's, that's what it is. It's a trust and relationship business. And I would think the parents are probably as much, you got to recruit them more than the kid almost, right? When they're that young. You got to, you, yes, you got to be, you got to recruit the parents and you got to know who the decision maker is because sometimes, you know, when the, when the, when the kids are, they're, they're juniors, seniors, they're coming out, they're kind of pounding their chest that they want to make their own decisions, but the parents want to be involved. They feel like they should be involved. In some cases they are, in some cases they're involved, but unbeknownst to them, they're not the decision maker. The kid is. So you've got to be able you've got to be able to sniff out over time how to how you're going to be able to sign this kid what appeals to him you know what are his hot spots you know what he feels the what what the benefits are and it's like we always said it's like dating you know there's the there's the introductory period where you're holding hands and you know you're getting to know each other then you get a couple dates. Then you know you, maybe you get a you get a kiss on the cheek, and you know eventually you know you get to first base, and then on it goes. And then bingo, you get engaged, you sign the contract, you get married, you you know you get the deal done, and then you know over time that that all calms down, and you know the there's because they're looking for personal attention. They all the athletes. They all want personal attention. They all want to know that they're going to be the top dog, right? For sure. I don't want to be with somebody where I'm not going to get personal attention. So you've got to make sure that you that that's a that's a big hot point for them. So you've got to talk about it. You've got to you've got to commit to it, and then you got to follow through. You got to give them the attention, otherwise they leave you. And when- so we were we were not only good at getting them, we were also good at keeping them. Did you help like market players? So the fridge obviously became, I won't say a caricature, but almost the celebrity was almost bigger than his game itself. Did you guys help market that at all? Well, that, well, we, we didn't have to because the fridge became an overnight sensation when he, when Ditka gave him the ball on the three yard line and he knocked George Cumby, the linebacker for the Green Bay Packers on his ass because he was 320 pounds coming across the line of scrimmage. That's how, that's how that happened. And all of a sudden, because I remember I was at Notre Dame recruiting a kid. I don't know who I was recruiting. When that happened on national TV, it was a Monday night game. And all of a sudden the fridge, because of his size and shape, but his athletic ability and his agility were so outstanding, you know, he got national media attention and, Literally, I just sat in their office with my feet up on the desk, fielding calls from Coca-Cola and McDonald's and all, all the endorsements that he had. It was easy. There was no marketing involved. And I remember I'm on Letterman, and I think David Letterman's like, Fridge, you know, uh, how do you unwind after a big game? He's like, and real kind of like nonchalant, like, well, I'll drink about 22 beers or something. And Letterman goes, holy crap. <laughs> He, just, he had the perfect personality. Oh, he was a he was a great guy. You know, happy go lucky guy. His his 
I, I don't, I don't, I don't know really, I don't know how to say it, but his, his issue was his wife, Sherry. Sherry, she, albeit she was a nice gal, she was tough. She was just a, a booger to deal with. To you guys, you're saying? Uh, to us and to him. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he was, she was running that show, baby. And, you know, he had, he had, just like the rest of us, Martin, we have no chance, right? <laughs> he did a lot, though, like a star player, and not the wife specifically, but like the entourage or the hangers on, and then they're calling, saying, I need a little extra because my homeboy's in town this week, or my best friend's opening a restaurant, and like where people are always grabbing at these guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The whole, the whole, the posses and yeah, the families. Well, that's their. That's the downfall. The downfall for the athlete, really, it's not while they're playing. It's once they've retired and then they can't adjust their lifestyle and the posses don't go away and the money's still being given to the family and they don't have the heart to, to, to not give it to them. And, you know, they put their name on a, you know, they, they put their name on a car note for a car dealership and that goes bust and, you know, shit happens. And even though at that time we were, we were the first 10 or 12 years of our existence, we were, we were negotiating their contracts. We were, we were doing all their financial work, which meant paying their bills, keeping their books, dealing with their families, travel arrangements, off the field issues, doing their marketing. You know, we were, we were, we actually called ourselves, we were personal managers, what we were. And yeah, even though, we're always looking out for their best interests. We're always giving them the right advice, but you can't, it's in the end, it's their money. And it's, you know, if they want to do something, they're going to do it. And then, you know, some of them don't listen. Most of them do, but some don't. And then they get themselves in trouble and then the other career's over and they can't, you know, they can't turn the spigot off. So as a St. Louis guy, you've got Trent Green as a client comes to the Rams, everything's coming together, 99, they've got Marshall Falk, they've got Orlando Pace, they draft Torrey Holt, everything is coming together. Oh, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And then the third preseason game, famously, Trent goes down. How devastated was he, were you, of all things, is it the St. Louis, the Vianney kid coming home, and the team looked like they had their shit together, and all of a sudden, I mean, that was about as cruel a blow at the time. We didn't know about Kurt Warner, but – Tell me how just disgusted and disappointed you guys were. Oh, it, it was a it was a brutal experience. I mean, I was at the, I was at the game that night. I guess it was a Saturday night when Rodney Harrison clipped him in the knee and ended that. And then what was tough was, I mean, the, the injury itself. Yes, and you know you've heard my, you've heard my story about when we signed him to the Rams. What I, what Jay Zygmunt asked me to do with Dick Vermeil, right? You've heard that? Remind me. Well, when we signed him, I negotiated the contract with Jay Zygmunt. And Jay was a character, really liked Jay. He talked a talked hell of a lot. <laughs> uh, but at the time we had, Tony Banks was our quarterback, as you, if you recall. And Dick Vermeil loved Tony Banks, even though they weren't doing well with him, he, he loved him. And so we get the kind that we, Trent was being signed. To, I can't remember what the deal was, but it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a big enough deal. I mean. Was that because of uh, 
Was that because of did March push for that because they knew each other in Washington? I don't. I, I get. I guess that's true. I guess that would be true. Advocate that he give him a look or whatever. So yeah, he had played. He had played some in Washington, but he hadn't played a heck of a lot. I remember he he was kind of Gus Farrell was the guy, and then Trent played some. And uh, but anyway, they, we signed him to a four or five year deal, and and Jay said, you know. Can you do me a favor, Jim? I said, "What's that?" He said, "Well, would you? I gotta tell. I gotta tell Dick that we've signed him, and we're signing him to be the starter. <clears throat> that was always a theme in the whole thing, you know, Jay. If we're gonna do this, Trent's coming there to be a starter. He's not coming to compete with Tony Banks. So that's how you know we'll do the deal under those terms." Jay said, "That's right, hundred percent. We're in, but someone's got to tell Vermeil that we've signed him." And someone's got to make sure that he knows we've signed him as a starter and that we have to release him. I said, well, okay, well, that's your job. Have at it. <laughs> he said, no, you know, it'd be really helpful if you would do that. Oh, I said, Jay, I, I, I don't work for the Rams. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't tell Dick Vermeil what to do. You know, he'll, he'll kick me in the ass. He'll kick me out of the office. He said, no, no, believe me, it, it's, it's okay. You, you can, you can, you can do it. And so did, we call, huh? Did you do it? So we, we call Vermeil up into the office and he walks in the office. I put my arm around him and say, Dick, we got the deal done. Great. Congratulations. Trent's here. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. He is going to be your starter, right? You're going to release Tony Banks. Well, absolutely, Jim. That's why we signed Trent. Blah, 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 blah. We had a press conference an hour later. and It was all good. And those two are like best of friends to this day. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great, that was a great moment. I'll never forget that moment. But Vermeil, you know, there's not a bigger class act than Vermeil, right? Oh, I love coach Vermeil. I love Trent. And I always felt bad that whole year, even kind of felt bad for Warner because it was awkward. Like there's Trent over in the corner and then Kurt's on the cover of SI. And to this day, the Ricky Proles of the world and Holtz and Bruce will say, Hey man, it could have been Trent. Man, that, that offense was ready to roll. And he that, well, he was he was rolling that. He they were rolling the first three preseason games. Yeah, it, it would have been, you know, you can't predict you can't predict those things. But it sure it would sure it, it sure looked like Trent was going going a long way and would have been in the same shoes as Kurt. But watching Warner play week after week, I mean, I was my I had my head in my lap, you know, feeling so bad for Trent. And didn't know where Trent was going from there, right? And then it turns out that he recovers and comes back, and they tra- they trade him to the Chiefs for number one, and had had some really great year. His first five years, he had more passing yards than, Pey- than uh, Peyton Manning did over the same period of time. Over he was well, he was rolling. They just couldn't. They, and they that year they went, weren't they? They were thirteen and zero, right? Uh, well, I know they went 13 and three, won their division. Was that the first year, maybe, with him and Vermeil together? It might have been the first or second year, but they were 13. They were undefeated for 13 games. And then they couldn't. I know in the playoff game, I can't remember who it was. He threw a, a key pass to one of the receivers. I can't remember. Uh, did Prol go with him? No, and that's KC. But it felt like the Chiefs always lost to the Colts. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's what, what I remember. Yeah. Anyway, they, they could never, they never got. They never got deep in, deep enough into the playoffs, but did you watching, ever- watching Warner replace Trent? I mean, that whole that whole. I hope that's in the movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've not seen the movie. I mean, there's got to be some moment where Trent's out and here comes Kurt. And, and they're all full of it now. Like, oh, yeah, we always knew Kurt had it. They exposed him in the expansion draft to the Browns. Yes. Yeah, they had, they had no clue. That's, that's just a bunch of crap. <laughs> I mean, the, the list of names is incredible. Mike Allstott, Warwick Dunn, and these are really quality people, too. Randall Cunningham. Randall Cunningham. Randall back in the day. Just talk about it. Bobby Brister, Merrill Hodge. You know, we had we had a we had some we had some great guys. The the, the Hampton McMichael duo with, with the '85 Bears. Those two guys, two of my favorite guys. They are they, they were just tremendous to be around and a lot of, and a lot of fun. So when you sit in the office back in the day, the phones are. Was there ever a guy like, oh, what a pain in the ass? I mean, did you love it when they called, or were there some guys who really were difficult? I, you know, of course there were days when it was a pain in the ass. You know, that just, you know, they they were doing stuff they weren't supposed to be doing or getting themselves in trouble. And you know, I had to, I really shouldn't mention names, but there was a guy that that I went on a recruiting trip with, and he decided to. And, you know, that, so his wife knew where he was, but then he decided to take a little excursion from there. And he asked me to, he said, my wife's going to call you and ask me where I am. Just tell her I'm where I tell her I'm on campus somewhere. So I had to cover for him while he was out hootie cacking around. It was, it was, it was a tough moment because I, you know, I don't, I'm not a good liar. You know, I'm a good fibber, but I'm not a good liar. A sports agent who's not a good liar. How did you say? Uh, you know that I could. There's, there's, there's a the need to know theory. There's things that people need to know and things that people don't need to know, right? But I really, I'm not, I'm not a. You know, I, I can do it with the best of them, but I, I can't. You know, to a somebody that have a personal relationship, it'd be like lying to you, Martin. I would never lie to you. Thank you, Barney. Thank you. Like when you say, oh, the internet's not working, we can't do the interview today. I'm like, maybe he just wants to go golf, possibly. How about, a, how about a name of a kid that either you almost signed or you did sign, and you were like, he is going to be a star, and it just didn't work. Was there anybody you were convinced was going to be a huge star, or maybe a couple of guys, and just for injury or other reasons, just didn't happen? Well, I'll tell you, one year we decided to recruit – a guy named Marcus Nash. Do you remember that name? The SMU? No. I, I... Uh, he, went, he went to Tennessee. Okay. He was a receiver. Came out the same year as Randy Moss. And so when, as an agent, when you're recruiting these high picks, it's hard to sign two top receivers or two top quarterbacks for the very reason we talked about earlier, because – then you're, you've got a, two quarterbacks and you're trying to help market them and, and get them in the best position possible to be drafted as high as possible, right? So you can't really sign two top, you can sign two quarterbacks that so one could be a one and one could be maybe a, a high two or three because they're not competing with each other, but two top receivers. So we made a choice to recruit Marcus Nash instead of Randy Moss. Oh no! Because Ross Moss wasn't as good of a person. His character was was kind of questionable at the time. You know, he was just a young guy, and he, he was a different sort of a dude at the time. 
And so we, we, we recruited and signed Marcus Nash and he, you know, had a three-year career. And of course the rest is history with. Should have been uh, fired on the spot, James. That should have been. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, you know, you just got to make those choices. Would it be harder now with the name image likeness thing where these kids are already kind of cash and check so they can before they're even headed to the pros, right? Wouldn't it change the whole dynamic? I, you know, I don't know enough about it at this point, but I would think it would change the dynamics a little bit. I, I don't know that they can, can they hire a contract agent? I, you might know more than I, I don't, a contract agent while they're in college now. Good question. Like what are the, the, the limitations here? But I mean, a kid in Alabama or Ohio state, and I think some of them have can get a million bucks from booster if he wants to, and says, you're in charge of my marketing for my roofing business or whatever. And right. I, that, so all of a sudden now going pro and getting the agent granted, there's more money to come, but I would think, I don't know if they're less impressed or incentivized. Like, I mean, how do you wow a kid who just got a million bucks when he's 19? I don't know. Well, you still, it, it's still there. The business of contract negotiations and the, the management of their career. Yeah. They've got a little money in their pocket, but it's not, it's, it's, present life changing, but it's not future life changing. Right. So they've got to, they've got to be, they're thinking, they're thinking about the future and who they need on the contract side. The, the contract business has changed a little bit now because the, and it's been this way for a year, for years since the, since the salary cap, but coming in as a rookie, the, the contracts are, are predetermined based on their, their position in the draft, as you know. So the, I think many agents are doing contracts for rookie top rookies for next to no, next to nothing or nothing, you know, obviously on the, if come when their contract terms. So that side of the business has changed a little bit, but uh, everything else in my view is, is probably pretty much the same in terms of recruiting kids. And yeah, there's, there's some filth there. I'm sure there's still filth, you know, there's still some sleaze going on. Uh, I hope so. We count yeah. on. Oh yeah, wouldn't be wouldn't be the same without it. Did anybody ever MF you like in a contract or in a negotiation or any team or GM or whatever that hated you and then like, oh god, what do you want, Steiner? Like, was that ever a difficult part of the job? Yeah, well, there, you know, it's like anything else. Some people you get along with better than others. I'll tell you who was a he was a decent guy, but he had a temper. Was Bill Polian? Bill Polian was I. We had Henry Jones out of who went to St. Louis U. He was a one out of Illinois, and he was just and he was a holdout. It was that was an ugly negotiation, and he was fiery. That guy was he was a bitch to deal with. Did I mean did he MF you on the phone? Oh yeah, oh yeah. There was there was there's, there's a, always a little little some of that going on. Is it your the, the, the experiences? I mean, the experiences you have with people with the GMs and some of the owners. I remember Jerry Jones came, Jerry Jones, we had Leon Lett, Jerry Jones in a, in a contract year came up and picked, picked me up and a gal named Sherry Weintraub, who was his financial advisor at the time out of St. Louis, picked us up in his jet to bring us down to San Antonio, wherever the training camp was to finish off his contract and flying back with Jerry Jones, in a, you know, privately, it was a kick in the ass. Like we had, in a fun way, right? What? In a fun way at that point? Once oh, yeah, in a fun way. Once the deal's done, he's popping champagne and whatever. 
Well, we were, the deal wasn't done on the way down, but he was telling us stories about how he got started with Jimmy Johnson. You know, he was, he was just over his, up to his eyeballs in debt, and he and Johnson were out selling sweets, and literally he, he was tearing up telling the story about how he got, start, how he got started. And how, what? About how he became the Cowboys owner? How he, well, how he, yeah, how he became the Cowboys owner and how hard it was and how leveraged they were. And, and he, uh, the other life lesson that I got from Jerry was he made some comment and I questioned him. I said, well, he made some comment. He said something. I said, well, Jerry, you said that, but you did. You said one thing, but you did, the, did another. He said, well, Jim, just because I say it doesn't mean it's so. And I've never forgot that line. Well, I think that sums up Jerry, the one that we know pretty well at this point. And let me look with that. When the Rams left, you're a football guy. You're based here. You were here when the Cardinals left. Was that a a kick in the ass at that point? Or did kind of everybody saw it? We we weren't. I don't think we were in the business when the Cardinals left, were we? Well, they left in 87. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess we were. Yes. So yeah, that was that was it. That was it. That was we weren't as far along, but yeah, that was a kick in the ass. And when, of course, when the Rams left, that was that's no good either. But uh, yeah, it was, it was great to have a, obviously a home team because players came in. We could entertain them in St. Louis. Could go to the games. Their families were there. We always used to have, especially when the 49ers came in, because with Jerry we had Elvis Gerback and a guy named Chris Dahlman. Uh, Roger, we'd always have them. They they come in, and on Saturday, I think it was Saturday, we'd have them out to the house and have a little party, have a few friends over, you know, feed them, entertain them a little bit, take them back down for their meetings on Saturday night. So it was great, great to have a hometown team. What a life, Jimmy! When I come back in my next life, I want to be James Steiner. Okay, I want to be on the plane with Jerry Jones. I want to be hanging with Lou Brock and Jerry Rice and. What a, what a blast. And we should tell folks. Oh, yeah, it, was, it was, you know, there's a lot of stories. We had a lot of fun, but let's not, let's not, let's call a spade a spade. It was a lot of freaking hard work. 24 7, 365, 150 days on the road, just like you. I mean, it, 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 and it was competitive, but it was, we always used to say, I'd hate to have to have a real job to make a living because it was fun. And, you know, at the end of uh, Jim's career as an agent, he was working with Tom Condon, based in Clayton. Uh, talk about power brokers. Man, they had everybody. So even when Jim merged and was working with Creative Artist Agency, I think it was a CAA, I think that was the company, they were still cranking out big-time clients. Love talking to Jimmy Steiner. And uh, he's the kind of guy, I'm telling you, if, you know, the old question, hey, who would you want to have a beer with? He has a million stories and uh, you get him going. He is, he's more sarcastic than me. I think that's what I told my wife at that kids' basketball game when we saw him. And I said, oh, Jim, he is, he's more sarcastic than I am. And she said, that's, that's not possible. Uh, fun to catch up with Jim. We've got a lot of different segments on tap in the coming year. Thanks to all of you for listening, subscribing. We've got Spotify, iTunes. Everything's posted at Dan McLaughlin's website, scoopswithdannymac.com. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Appreciate you supporting the sponsors, B&G Tuck Pointing, bgtuckpointing.com, Marie de Villa, Senior Living, huge 60-acre campus in West County. 
Triad Bank, longtime sponsor of all of the Killcoin podcasts over the year. Triadbanking.com is their website. Appliance discounters, it's so true. The 80,000 square foot warehouse right now, that's taking care of any supply chain issues. They've always had the inventory and now it's more notable than ever. The appliance discounters.com and Nordic Mountain, I'm telling you, if you want to take the kids for a ski trip, maybe some of them have never skied, but you want to get away for a little bit. Colorado's too far to drive. Check it out. About a six-hour drive, nordicmountain.com. Encourage you to check it out. We had a great time. Actually skied uh, two of the days. They were up there. Snow coming down. Just perfect. The lodge was great. Little lodge time. Can't be on the hill the entire time. Got to spend a little time in the lodge. Maybe a little new Glarus, a little spotted cow. All right, now I'm really starting to drift off here. My mind is taking me back to the cabin with the snow coming down. I do love me some Wisconsin. Guilty as charged. All right, thanks for checking out the Kill Coin Conversation. As always, we'll talk again soon.